You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. What a Tuesday it's been in the sports world. One of the goats is saying goodbye. There's more Katie net drama, some updates from the Deshaun Watson case, and so much more. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. I am Chris Button. He is drawn Davenport in for Sarah and Jason. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. We stole Tehran away from the heat in Nashville covering <laughs> training camp for the Titans. What's going on? What is going on? It's going to be our first time tag teaming it. I'm ready to do this. The weather is a little frightful outside. <laughs> you know, got some thunders going on. So if there's an occasional rumble, I apologize for that. That's nothing but uh, what's going on out there in the sky. Will you say stay or stay safe in your radio booth? <laughs> I, I feel like every time I host a radio show, we lead off with Deshaun Watson news, and that is what we are doing today because NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell spoke today and says evidence calls for at least a full-year suspension for Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. Here's what he had to say just within the hour. We've seen the evidence. She was very clear about the evidence. Uh, she reinforced the evidence. Uh, that there was uh, multiple violations here, and they were egregious, and it was predatory behavior. That's, those are things that we felt, um, we always felt were really important for us to address in a way that's responsible. So nothing terribly new, Teron, other than we're hearing from him for the first time. Uh, where, where your feelings lie in terms of when we think this will eventually be resolved? That is a great question. I, I think within the next couple of weeks it'll be resolved, and it just seems like something that's continued to be just drawn out. And I, I know there's a lot at stake, but I, I would rather them try to come to some type of conclusion sooner than later so this just doesn't continue to hang over everyone's head. I mean, you have uh, you know, so many people impacted by this, and I want to see some type of resolution sooner than later. Goodell uh, discussed the timing today, and he said uh, that he hopes that Harvey, Peter Harvey, who is the NFL-appointed uh, attorney general who is going to hear the appeal, would make the uh, decision sooner rather than later, but he did not know when that would be uh, coming out. I, it, the, the whole thing is still so awkward because – so right now it's a six-game suspension, but that's up in the air. He's also still allowed to play in the preseason, so we might see him in some games. Uh, it's almost like – how do the Browns also move forward? Because, hey, there's a guy over in San Francisco that if Deshaun Watson is suspended for an entire year, they may want to go get. Yeah, and that's something that you continue to see, Deshaun Watson, uh, w with his suspension. You, you got Jimmy Garoppolo tied to the Browns. But honestly, I think they are in a perfect situation with Jacoby Brissett because you look at the last few years, what he's had to do, going back to the Colts, right? He had to be thrown into the fire because Andrew Luck retired before that with the Patriots when Garoppolo got hurt, he had to go out there. And then even now in this situation, last year with Miami, he had to go in there when, when Tua wasn't able to play. So I think Jacoby Brissett is, is the perfect guy. But see, the problem is in this situation, not knowing what it's going to be, how does Kevin Stefanski decide who gets the first team reps? And both of these guys are new to the team. So it, it's a lot of chemistry and, and development that has to happen with the receivers. And, oh, by the way, Amari Cooper is a new receiver to the team as well. So there's just a lot going on that normally those type of things, those hurdles are overcome by time. But you just don't know how to split the time because you don't know who's going to play. 
Exactly. Roger Goodell, NFL commissioner, addressing the Deshaun Watson case uh, within the hour. Still no new facts coming out of it, uh, but did address it, saying that they are still looking for a full year suspension for him. Uh, Let's move on to the news that was maybe the most shocking of the day. Serena Williams says she is planning to step away from tennis after the U.S. Open. She called it, quote, evolve because it was almost too sad to call it a retirement. She said, quote, I've been reluctant to admit to myself or anyone else that I have to move on from playing tennis. Alexis, her husband, and I have hardly talked about it, and it's like a taboo topic. I can't even have this conversation with my mom and dad. It's like it's not real until you say it out loud. It comes up, I get an uncomfortable lump in my throat, and I start to cry. The only person I've really gone there with is my therapist. One thing I'm not going to do is sugarcoat this. I know that a lot of people are excited about and look forward to retiring. I really wish I felt that way. It was heartbreaking to hear her say it in a way of stepping away from the game at 41 when you don't want to but your body just doesn't have it. And she's dealt with so many injuries over the last couple of years. Teron, what was your first reaction when you heard the news earlier today? It was, I hate to see her go, you know, because she is someone that you, you talk about making a sport more popular. I, I mean, I, I don't know that outside of maybe Tiger Woods, Michael Jordan, I don't know that there's an athlete that made a, their sport more popular. And you look at what she's been able to do. She allowed tennis to cross over into, you know, the urban community because that's where she came from. So for me, it's a legend that you hate to see their career come to an end. But Father Time, we know what it is. No one could beat them. Yeah, she pushed so many boundaries in different ways. You know, coming over from Compton and her and Venus going out there in their braids and their beads that no one had seen before take center court and the way that her father raised them. They didn't play junior tennis the way that everyone else does growing up. He wanted them to be well-rounded and speak different languages and have fun off the court because he saw what Jennifer Capriati, you know, all that pressure had gotten to her. And then to see, to me, as a mom and as a huge tennis fan, to watch her go through the birth of her daughter to almost die in labor. There's a documentary where she goes through what it's like to have to come back from that. Uh, And there was a quote that uh, to me was was pretty gut-wrenching. She said, if I were a guy, I wouldn't be writing this because I'd be out there playing and winning while my wife was doing the physical labor of expanding our family. Maybe I'd be more of a Tom Brady if I had that opportunity. Don't get me wrong. I love being a woman, and I love every second of being pregnant with Olympia, but I'm turning 41 this month, and something's got to give. Here's Pam Shriver, ESPN Tennis Analyst. She has impacted tennis um, on the court, off the court. She's taken tennis off the sports pages into pop culture. She bridges, um, you know, really people of all generations and um, a diversity of backgrounds. She's become a great spokesperson, a philanthropist. She's matured before our eyes. Sure, she's had moments at the U.S. Open that have been difficult for her and for us to watch. But in the end, she's going to go down as one of the great athletes, not just in tennis, but in sports history. When you think about her longevity, winning majors as a teenager in the 90s and still competing in uh, 2022 and her record in the Olympics in, uh, in major doubles finals with Venus 14-0, and 0, I could go on and on at the impact she's had. 
That was Pam Shriver, ESPN tennis analyst, earlier today on Get Up. She will play one last time. Teron will be able to watch her play. My first reaction when I saw it was, who do I have to call at ESPN to get off the rest of my assignments so I can get up to Flushing <laughs> Meadows for two weeks? Think about, I mean, you've lived in New York, in that area, what that environment is going to be like, maybe those night sessions with her out there. Yeah, it's going to be so energetic, man. I, I could only imagine, you know, and, and as a kid, I remember, you know, catching that seven line and getting off and you, you look over to, to one side and you got Flushing Meadows there, the the tennis area, now Arthur Ashe Stadium, and then you look to the other side and you, you got what used to be Shea Stadium is now City Field and just the excitement when there's a, a baseball game going on at the same time. Like there's so much energy and so, such a buzz. and It's going to be elevated now, especially, you know, knowing that this could be the last time you get to see one of the best athletes who ever walked this planet. Well, we will continue to talk about Serena Williams throughout the show as she announces that she is evolving from tennis, uh, her way of saying retirement. We want to hear your calls later, but who for you is the best to ever play their game, impacted their sport the way that Serena Williams has? Meanwhile, Kevin Durant has delivered an ultimatum to the Nets, but how will they react? We'll discuss it next. This is Spain and Fitz with Chris Bunn and Teron Davenport filling in on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Kevin Durant initially asked for a trade back on June 30th. It is August 9th, and the soap opera, as they say, continues. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App Series, XM Channel 80. I'm Chris Budden. He is Teron Davenport in for Sarah and Jason. Teron, here's where we are with this. So the Nets governor, Josiah, backs off his staff uh, – or backs his staff – around this entire deal that Kevin Durant demanding that the GM and coach Steve Nash are gone if he's going to stay. They met in London. Durant reiterated, reiterated that he wanted to be traded, but if he would stay, it would he would choose to stay if Steve Nash and Sean Marks, the GM, were gone. Joe Tsai went on to say that he uh, – on Twitter, our front office and coaching staff have my support. We will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. So kind of forcing Cy to make a decision. Do you keep KD or do you keep your staff? What do you do? I keep the staff. I think you have to keep the structure in place. And I understand Kevin Durant is literally a generational type of talent. But, I mean, first and foremost, okay, what's the big gripe? Like, what happened? That's the thing that I'm trying to find out. What is it to make you – demand this trade what, what what has happened okay i understand you had the situation with Kyrie and and you know you traded james harden but you got a pretty solid player in return it's not like this team is, is void of talent like they actually with kevin durant could be one of the best teams in the conference so for me when i look at it it's just like okay kd come on man what, what is it that that is, has you demanding that First, a trade, but then saying that, oh, well, if I stay, these people in place have to be traded and let or fired, let go. Last time I checked, he was a big part of Steve Nash becoming the head coach. So I, I'm confused. It's also a little weird. Like, I, I want to trade, but then I know that there's the, the options are winding down of places that I can actually go, of who could actually afford me and who has the pieces to make a trade. So now it feels like I'm stuck. So now that I'm stuck uh, and 
I, I might have to stay here. Well, here's now my demands. So why, why does he just go to Steve Nash? Why does he just go to Sean Marks and say, right. here's my issue. Instead, I'm going to go to the owner. It feels very whiny about it. Here's Jay Williams on their show earlier today. He doesn't think the Nets should trade him. What I'm saying to Kevin Durant, if I were Josiah, is it's the Brooklyn Nets franchise. That's who I'm choosing. And I think that's what Josiah's tweet was about. And whatever in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets franchise, I'm going to do that. And in my opinion, that's to keep Kevin Durant. And if Kevin Durant, if you don't want to play, if you want to go through training camp and not play, then we're going to have to deal with that with Adam Silver. But the only way I'm going to move Kevin Durant is if I get equivalent assets in return or more for KD. I'm not taking less than what the best player in basketball is worth now in the game. Like, he's the best player in basketball. I'm not taking less for KD. I can't do it. It's Jeez. not a good business decision, Keith. That was Jay Williams. <laughs> At 33 years old, Durant has four years, $198 million left on his contract. So does Josiah call his bluff? Because if, if Steve Nash and the GM, Sean Marks, stay, is KD going to play? Is he going to sit on a bench? That's what I wonder. But as Jay Will said, that's what they'll have to take up with, with Adam Silver because something's going to have to give. And then you just you look at, okay, he demanded the trade. But, Chris, how are you going to demand a trade and say, oh, but if I'm traded, this team has to keep this player, this player, and that What? Also, no one can afford you. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it just there's, – there's so much, and, and I, I just – I don't get it. And for me, you know, when you look at – the the trade uh Rudy Gobert right all the draft picks for that that made this KD trade almost impossible to do unless you loop in another team and because there's so many draft picks that have to be uh, accounted for you know if, if what Gobert went for what four draft picks four first round picks mm-hmm. so and you're gonna a need a couple what? extra after that yeah and, and some some players you know Patrick Beverly's a pretty good player so you, you're gonna need from the rip like six to eight draft picks. Yeah. How how are you going to – what team is going to have that to give up? And as everything went and got signed, like the, it felt like the Suns were out of it after they uh, signed Aiton, and then I think Miami's still in it based on what they have. But that seems to be right now the only option. So to me it feels like KD is trying to hold their hand to the fire of, uh, oh, shoot, I, there, I may not end up someplace, so I better figure out this situation mm-hmm. here and mm-hmm. demand what I want this situation to be because he sees the writing on the wall. Here's Ian Fitzsimmons uh, from Freddie and Fitzsimmons on Katie always getting his way. This is a man in Kevin Durant who spent one year at Texas, goes and becomes a star at Oklahoma City, yeah. then leaves OKC for the team that beat him when they were down 3-1. And then goes and, and wins Shout out multiple to the Warriors, titles. Go ahead, go ahead yeah. and say their name, man. Make yeah. me feel good, man. Feel good about yourself. Say the, say the, the reigning, name loud and proud. reigning world champion, <laughs> Golden State Warriors, where KD could still be a yep. part of the Golden State Warriors. But instead, all of a sudden, he got so Betty Crocker winning multiple championships and MVPs in the, in the NBA Finals, right? that he had to leave the team that he chose to go to that beat him when they were up 3-1 and then seek life elsewhere to go be with a man named Kyrie Irving. And the man that Key and Kyrie advocated for was right. Steve Nash to be the damn head coach. Teron, you cover the NFL day in and day out. 
why are their contracts so different that Kevin Durant can say, I want out and everyone listens? It's still your signature on a piece of paper. If I want to get out of ESPN, they ain't going to let me go. My name's on a piece of paper. And this is the only league where we're just they allow their stars to make the demands. Well, okay, we don't want you on our bench if you ain't going to play. You're not going to be happy. Sure, we'll let you go. Those deals are guaranteed. <laughs> NFL, you know, the team puts their name on a contract, and so does the player. But if the team doesn't want the player to, to make X amount of money, guess what they do? Hey, uh, pay cut or, or you're going to get cut. In this case, you know, Durant, as you mentioned, four years, four years, $198 million. Like, that's that's still remaining. So that's the other thing that makes this whole thing crazy. There's four more years of team control. I, I just I, – I don't, I don't understand how he could ask for the team to break down their structure because he, want, he doesn't want so-and-so to, to be there. That just that, – that's, that's beyond me. Real quickly, do you think it would change the NBA and the way that players demand ask for trades if Josiah says, no, not doing it, to the best player in basketball? I don't think it's going to change the NBA because this is the best player in basketball, and there's a lot of things tied with it as far as like the compensation that is going to be required to be able to, to move him. So I, I think you know when you look at that, it's a unique circumstance. And also, best player in the game – Still four years team control. Again, as the world turns, it is the daily drama that is the Brooklyn Nets. Kevin Durant still seeking a trade out of Brooklyn, asking for Steve Nash and GM Sean Marks to not be part of the team if he's going to stay. Josiah, the governor of the Brooklyn Nets, saying he supports his staff. We will see where this goes. We'll keep you updated if anything else comes out. Meanwhile, earlier today, Serena Williams announced that she is going to retire from tennis. She announced it in a Vogue article. There are so many other things that are on her plate as well, being a mom, uh, fashion, one of them. And she is going to hang up the tennis racket after the U.S. Open coming up in a couple weeks. There is so much more to dive into in watching the GOAT hang it up. So what kind of impact did she have on the sport of tennis? We'll talk with someone who competed against her. This is Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. One of the best to ever do it is saying goodbye to the sport, one that she changed dramatically during her time on a tennis court. Serena Williams evolving from tennis, as she put it. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Chris Bunn, and he's Tron Davenport. In for Sarah and Jason this evening. Let's get to Renee Stubbs, ESPN tennis analyst. Renee, you know Serena very well. What was your reaction when you heard the news that she was stepping away from tennis? Well, I think it was mixed, to be honest. Uh, one, okay, she's finally let everybody know that it's time. Uh, the other one, obviously, was, okay, you know, we're about to lose one of the greatest of all time um, out of our sport, uh, somebody that's transcended the sport so unbelievably, uh, you know, just has been such an incredible person to have in the sport. Um, but at the same time, part of me is also happy for her because um, she's going out on her terms. She's going out and deciding when she wants to go out. I think she came back at Wimbledon and decided to keep going through the U.S. Open just for this reason. Having known Serena so well, what are some of the your best memories when, when you think back just across her career? 
Oh, there are so many. I mean, obviously, you know, meeting her and Venus for the first time when they were kids, when they were like 12 years of age, um, and, and sort of getting to hit with them and getting asked, you know, what do you think, you know? And I said, oh, the little one I think is a little better, which ended up being pretty right. But, um, you know, and then watching them just change the sport, change the sport in so many ways. Um, and then obviously becoming friends with them and getting to know them even more and more through the years. Um, you know, one of the great memories that I'll have is watching, you know, courtside them play that last Grand Slam against each other at the Australian Open and, you know, that embrace and that hug at the net. It just, it, they transcended the sport. They changed the sport. Um, they literally changed the colour of the sport. You know, they got so many young black and brown young girls into tennis and little boys. And, um, you know, that, that their legacy and Serena's legacy will live on for a long, long time. You talk about the word legacy. She changed the sport many ways. I mean, you talk about as little girls out there in their braids and beads to being a mom, to the fashion she wore on the court, her style, her and Venus's style of power hitters. What, what do you think, How? what was her biggest impact on the sport? Oh, I mean, I, I think there's so many to name, but um, when you when you think about the the fact that Naomi Osaka's idol was Serena Williams. I mean, that's what you need to, that's all you need. I mean, literally Naomi Osaka is one of the most, the biggest, most wealthy tennis players that, that we've ever seen now. Um, and the impact that she had on someone like uh, Naomi, um, just wanting to pick up a tennis racket and play. And you think about all the young little African-American girls that looked on their television and saw these two beautiful athletes out there giving it out everything and, being, a, you know, a, certainly with Serena, wearing a heart on a sleeve and the amount of little girls that would have looked at the television and said, maybe I can do that, and they have. And we've seen that with the Sloan Stevensons of the world and the Madison Keys and all these uh, young players that would have looked up to someone like Serena because they looked like her. You've, you've done it before, right? You've been at a point where you had to, not had to, but you, you chose to walk away from the game. For Serena from a mental standpoint, like how tough is this for her to, to make this decision? Yeah. I mean, similar feelings. I, I would think, listen, I'm not even comparing myself remotely to Serena's uh, career, but I, you know, I had a long career. I stopped when I was 39, almost 40 years of age. And I was still quite successful in doubles at that period of time when I did stop. Um, and it's a matter of what, what do I want for the rest of my life? And for someone like Serena, you know, she, she has her daughter Olympia. She wants more children, so she wants to expand her family. She's ex- expanding her business ventures with Serena Ventures. Um, so for me, it was the same. I, I wanted to move on and do different things with my life, get into broadcasting and television and also do some coaching. So I think for Serena, she knows what she wants now. She, she wants to – the family has become her most important thing in life and has always been her so important to her. So I think that's more important than winning Grand Slams now. And, and you know, I, I felt the same way. It's just like, oh, look, I've had a great career, and so did Serena. And uh, Serena's career has surpassed everybody else's. So it's been amazing to sit and watch it. We're talking with Renee Stubbs, ESPN ten- tennis analyst, who won four Grand Slams double titles and two mixed double titles of her own. Uh, for Serena, when you read the Vogue article, it's heartbreaking at times because it's <laughs> it's the – you know, this isn't fair that as a mom that women have to go through this, that, that, I, that if I were a man I wouldn't be writing this article or that her body just can't keep up. Do you have any insight as to the emotions that she's going through now that this has become public? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, look at, look at the fact that when she won her last Grand Slam, 23rd Grand Slam, she was dominating the sport, you know, and uh, we, we were starting to talk about, okay, could it be another career, you know, could it be a Grand Slam this year? And then all of a sudden we find out she's pregnant. So she went away from the sport for a couple of years, and that at her age, you know, in her mid-30s was, I mean, essentially devastating to, to her, you know, accumulating more Grand Slam titles. Yeah, so if she was a guy, she probably would have won um, certainly three or four more Grand Slams if she hadn't gotten pregnant. But clearly the most important thing in her life is Olympia. So she won't, she would never give Olympia back for 10 more Grand Slams. But, you know, it is an interesting uh, dichotomy that women players have to decide. I mean, Carolina Wozniacki, there's so many players that have quit because they want to have a family. So it definitely, definitely is a story that um, we don't talk about enough uh, as far as the greatness of someone like Serena. That dominance that you referred to, I mean, she was dominant before she, you know, had Olympia, dominant after. Yeah. How, I I know it's probably hard to put a finger just exactly on it, but, like, how do you think she was able to maintain that dominance for so long? I I mean, it just seems like her career is like like a lifetime. Uh, Yeah, it's half her life, uh, more than half her life, really, because she, you know, won her first US Open at 19 and she's 41 now. So you think about half her life has been about dominating a sport. And, you know, I think, look, she worked extremely hard. She was unbelievably focused. She had the greatest weapon in the history of women's tennis with her serve. She was, uh, you know, her ground strokes were fantastic. She was an amazing athlete around the court. Um, her ability to get balls in the court and then turn defense into offense. And then, as I said, you know, the serve that she possessed and still possesses was so dominant. So I think, look, she just, she had always had a bit of a chip on her shoulder. She wanted to constantly prove herself to be the greatest. And the beautiful thing about that article, as you, as you said, was there's so many things that were so raw and real and beautiful about the things that she said in that article. And I, I hope people read the article because it really showed a lot of who she really, really is. Renee, she's going to head up to Flushing Meadows soon, and that place is already electric. Can you? I, I'm trying yeah. to imagine what it's going to be like when she's there. Uh, given the field, the parity in women's tennis, I mean, what do, do you think is possible for her up there? Uh, look, I mean, listen, the one thing I've always said about Serena is that never underestimate what Serena Williams can do. Um, it would be a magical moment in history if she was able to march through and make a semi or a final my fingers are crossed that she stays healthy, that she can do it, that her draw isn't too difficult um, because wouldn't it be a great way to send her off of having a, an amazing semi or final? Um, we don't know. As you said, women's tennis is so deep. We've had so many great champions over the last few years at Grand Slam level, so you never know. But boy, boy, oh boy, do I hope that she runs through at least the second week. But I, I know I'm very, very blessed um, not only to know as a person, but obviously work for ESPN and I will be there no matter what, whether I'm calling the match or not, I will be there courtside to witness um, history and see her last ever match. Um, and let's just hope it's later in the tournament because mm-hmm. it'll be amazing. So get your tickets now because it's going to be a hot ticket. <laughs> I am so jealous. I already said when I heard the information today, I was like, how do I get off any of my assignments so I can be there? Super jealous, Renee yeah. Stubbs. Appreciate the time. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks, guys. Bye.
What's interesting is it may not be her last time at Flushing Meadows because Venus is still playing, the older sister. So maybe one day she'll be in a box uh, next year watching Venus. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive is proud to team up with Hello Alice to support small businesses. Get access to small business resources and learn about small business grants at HelloAlice.com. We'll head to training camp next. Update you on some key stories added today. This is Spain and Fitz. Chris Button. Toronto Davenport filling in on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. NFL training camps continue. We're going to take a little whip around some news that came out of several camps today. Toronto Davenport, Chris Bunn, filling in for Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Let's start first with the Jets, Teron, news came out today that starting right tackle, Makai Becton is having a season-ending surgery to the same knee that kept him out last year. Different injury, same knee. Uh, I feel like there's a line in a Taylor Swift song that says, this is why we can't have nice things, and that's the Jets year after year. Like Zach, You get Zach Wilson, and now you can't have an offensive line healthy enough to keep him upright. Yeah, it's just a shame that, you know, such a big man. So, naturally, you're always going to have a little more stress on, on the joints. But, I mean, Makai Becton was really going to be a, a critical part in Zach Wilson in, in year two taking that next step because what's the best thing for a young quarterback? Protection, right? So, you take that out and, hey, I mean, we come back to Bruce Springsteen glory days. Maybe <laughs> uh, George Fant can relive some glory days back when he was blocking for Russell Wilson and, uh, you know, make things happen for – for Zach Wilson, but you're, you're right. It's just like, man, right when things seem to be going well for the Jets, this happened. It, it is unfortunate. And apparently the New York fan base uh, can be a little grouchy, a little grumpy, and Robert Sala, the Jets head coach, addressed it. He shows up to camp, and he's fighting to get himself back in shape. He's got videos of him vomiting, and people are throwing shade, and he's limping, and he's doing all those different things, and he's fighting to – for this, for his family, for himself, for his teammates, for this organization, for this fan base, and he's doing everything. And then everybody wants to drop him like a, a, a wet rag. That ain't the case. Um, we love Makai. We appreciate everything he's done. And this, his ride is not over. His story's not over. And uh, he's got full support of this organization. And if you're a fan that wants to support him, you're more than welcome. Otherwise, just keep him moving. He's reported to have a fractured kneecap and people are criticizing him because he gets injured for another season? Yeah, it's crazy. But I tell you what, that is a microcosm of why if you talk to a lot of players on the 49ers defense and you talk to some of the Jets players, a lot of them, they will tell you they will literally run through a wall for Robert Sala. You you saw the way Mm -hmm. he stood up for his guy. He's like, look, fans, you know, it's either – no fair weather, you, you know what I mean? And I love the fact that he stood up for his guy, and, and you're right. You know, a flat, fractured kneecap, like, that's not something to just shake your head at. That's a significant injury, especially when you're <laughs> yeah. you're a guy as big as Makai Becton is. There's a lot of weight being put on that knee. Right. I don't blame him. Uh, out to Chicago, Roquan Smith requesting a trade from the Chicago Bears. In a written statement, he asked for it after contract negotiations between himself and the organization reached an impasse. Smith wrote on social media uh, saying that the new front office regime does not value me here after Smith said he had been trying to work on an extension since April. There was a lot of back and forth. The Bears saying, well, we've given him uh, a fair deal, a record-breaking deal that may be more on the back end. Your thoughts on the the back and forth between uh, the best player on their team? 
Yeah, I, I understand what Roquan Smith is doing in this situation because he has to get the information out there that, hey, look, it's not that I don't want to be here. It's just I don't feel this team is valuing me. Because remember, he doesn't have an agent, right? So he, he has to get it out there one way or another. And he can't talk to the media because he's on pup lift, if I'm not mistaken. Uh-huh. So now it, it's that's the only thing that he could do. It, you know, he, he went through that uh, that channel. I, I think it's just tough because he's a classic example of you draft a player, you develop him, and it's also a position that your organization is known for having a history of, and he's carrying on that tradition by playing the middle linebacker position so great, and you don't sign him. I, I, it's confusing, and, and I, I don't know. Like when you have, he's what twenty five years old. Mm-hmm. Like that's a guy I think you can build your defense around. What do you want to do defensively? You want to be strong right up the middle, and you look behind him. You got Eddie Jackson at safety. Like they, they have a. a what could be the foundation for a good defense if you keep that young player around. So the back and forth, here's Ryan Paul's Bears GM on what they offered Smith. There's record setting pieces of this contract. I knew for a fact was, I thought was going to show him the respect that he deserves. And obviously that hasn't been the case. Uh, with that said, you know, we can't lose sight that this isn't about one player. My job is to build a roster that's going to sustain success for a long period of time. So the question was, if it's record-breaking in some ways, but it's not good enough, why is it not? Chris Canty had some insight earlier today on why that may be. The Bears' contract offered to Roquan Smith was backloaded. It didn't make him the highest-paid linebacker in actual salary, and there were proposed de-escalators in his contract that aren't in any of the 94 non-quarterbacks contracts who are making $15 million plus per year. So it's clear that the Chicago Bears had a take-it-or-leave-it position when it came to Roquan Smith. He decided he's going to leave that right there, and I think that ultimately opens the door to him leading the franchise. But my question to the Bears is this. If you're not going to pay a 25-year-old all-pro at middle linebacker, who the hell are you going to pay? It doesn't make sense. I don't sense. think they pay of, anybody until they have to right now. Well, he's one of the very best players at his position. I, I just at some point you have to have cornerstones that you're going to build around. I mean, we'll have much more on the Roquan Smith situation coming up in our next hour. But I got to get to the 49ers, Tom. <laughs> yes, it's about Jimmy G. A depth chart was released today. Which, by the way, on the picture of the depth chart, it says, note, this was not created by the coaching staff. Well, then who the hell was it created by? But let's run through the quarterbacks for the 49ers. Number one, QB, depth chart, Trey Lance. Not shocking. Number two, Nate Sudfield. Number three, Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, quarterback out of Iowa State. And number four, Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, you don't want him. You're going to trade him, but... Is that kind of a slap? <laughs> it's kind of, were you trying to throw shade by doing that? He's not that, the fourth best talent in your quarterback room. That's kind of a don't let the door hit you where you go or <laughs> split you. That is kind of, but I will say this. I, I know, you know, like for the Titans, um, a lot of that is based off of PR's observations during that X amount of time that, that you know, you, you've gotten to see the rotation and everything. So, I'm Whatever, sure it's giving us great radio fodder. Well, I don't know what hey, you're talking 
Hey, listen, it's giving us great radio fodder for sure. But it, yeah. it's just, I, I guess that's their way of waving the red flag, the white mm. white flag saying, hey, you know, we are moving on from him. Trey Lance is the guy. But I, I just, I, I don't know that that's the, the best thing to do as far as like make it so clear that, that you're just over and done with the guy because you do want to get some trade value, don't you? So my question has always been, God forbid, what if something happened to Trey Lance? Yes. Yes. Like, why? Why? I mean, maybe because what you can get for him, but he's he, you don't want him to go to Seattle. So we, we're waiting for the Brown situation. Like, what's possibly? But Chris, you make a good point there. And the other thing that you have to look at with Jimmy Garoppolo is he is a guy who's not going to make a lot of fuss, right? He, he's one of the quote unquote good citizens uh, of the league. Like, he's not going to have a, a a whole like make a lot of ruckus that you know the team has is moving on from him. He can be someone that would help Trey Lance develop if he were to stay around and also be that security uh, blanket for them if something should happen to him. And then, by the way, if he leaves and signs with another team, that will help tilt the comp pick formula in their favor. It seems like it could be a win-win situation, and in my opinion, what you're saying, and I agree with you, is the 49ers are just playing this bad. You could have a great guy in there as a number two who, if anything happens to Trey Lance, has a guy who, oh, by the way, beat the Packers twice, also beat the Cowboys in the playoffs last year, and I understand that there's some inconsistencies, but you keep him playing, and then maybe your trade value ends up better. I don't know. It seems the entire situation has continued to see, uh, seem weird. And then the, they release the depth chart, and it's just it, – it's like, really? I've seen a weird situation like this before real quick. 2016, the Eagles drafted Carson Wentz. They had Sam Bradford on the roster, and they signed Chase Daniel. Somebody got hurt, Teddy Bridgewater. They flipped Bradford for a, a, a first-round pick. So maybe that works out for him. I mean, Drew Locke is still uh, the quarterback in Seattle, so we'll see if he is <laughs> when things actually <laughs> kick off here in a month. Where does Serena Williams rank in terms of most dominant athletes ever? We'll get into that. This is Spain and Fitz. Chris Budden, Teron Davenport, filling in ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. What a big day in sports. One of the best to ever do it is saying goodbye. Serena Williams said, let the countdown begin she is going to retire after the u.s open or as she says evolve because retirement is just too sad of a word to say spain and fitz espn radio the espn app series xm channel 80 chris button he is duran davenport in for space sarah spain and jason fitz espn radio is presented by progressive insurance i'm like part of me is so sad Teron, and then part of me is happy that she's going out on her own and i can't decide which emotion is greater, but we're going to have a debate right now. Best best athletes, greatest at what they do. Who is the most dominant athlete? We want to hear what you have to think. 888-CSPN, 888-729-3776. Because she's obviously the GOAT in female tennis. But, Teron, you think she might be the best athlete ever. I think she a, a serious case could be made for her being one of the best athletes ever. And you made a good point when we were discussing this a bit on the break. Um, it's tough to compare a team sport to an individual sport. And I will say this, though. You have to look at what she's done for the game. Just how like she has turned, as as Renee Stubbs said, you know, she literally turned changed the color of female 
tennis. Like there's so many young black mm-hmm. girls that started to love the sport because of her, because they saw someone that looked like them not only playing the sport but dominating the sport. So I think you have to look at the impact that she's had, and I can make a good case just based off of that. But then also, as you mentioned, the way she changed the sport. It went from a finesse sport to a power sport. You look at the serve. I mean, how many times have you seen her get, you know, where her serve couldn't be returned and she was getting points off of that? So there's just a lot that has changed um, just with tennis itself. So I think overall impact-wise, she is one of the greatest ever. So who is on your Mount Rushmore of sports? Who has made the biggest impact on their sport? We want to hear from you. Here's our line, 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. Give us a call. Pam Shriver had some thoughts on Get Up Today on Serena's Legacy. She has impacted tennis um, on the court, off the court. She's taken tennis off the sports pages into pop culture. She bridges, um, you know, really people of all generations and um, a diversity of backgrounds. She's become a great spokesperson, a philanthropist. She's matured before our eyes. Sure, she's had moments at the U.S. Open that have been difficult for her and for us to watch. But in the end, she's going to go down as one of the great athletes, not just in tennis, but in sports history. When you think about her longevity, winning majors as a teenager in the 90s and still competing in uh, 2022 and her record in the Olympics in, uh, in major doubles finals with Venus 14-0, and I could go on and on at the impact she's had. Teron, I'm going to get on my soapbox of why I also think that tennis players are some of the best athletes out there. If you like soccer, that's fine. You can call me and yell at me. Serena was 17 when she won her first Grand Slam. She beat Martina Hingis in 1999. It is 2022, and she is still playing. She won a Grand Slam when she was pregnant. She went on to have a baby, almost died during labor, to get back on a court where – you know, if it weren't for some things that happened in New York and some, she could possibly also after having her daughter have won two more grand slams on top of that. She's at 23 grand slams, which is the most in the open era for women on top of that. Like this is a sport. This is why I say that, that tennis athletes are some of the best athletes out there. You are by yourself. It is you, you get two minutes in a changeover. There is no, coaching there is no let's sit down and have a discussion there's no I'm cramping let me tag somebody else to come in it is you and three sets or if a man it is you and five sets you can go take a bathroom break you can come see a trainer that isn't your trainer and he can assess you for 10 minutes but that's all you get in a stadium with eyes watching to me, tennis athletes, and why I agree with you, Serena, uh, probably one of the best. If you, if now we're gonna get, if there's a number two for you. Who you got? <laughs> uh, you gotta go with, with Mike. I mean, the NBA was popular before he got mm-hmm. there. Magic and Bird, they did a great job of expanding the game. Bill Russell before that, but I think when you look at just the ability to change it into uh, just the culture, right? I mean, 
to this day, I still, you know, I, I, I like to buy Jordans, right? And, and, you know, the whole sneaker culture, he, he just, he transcended the game. So I think, you know, Jordan is probably someone that, that you put up there. Uh, I, I have an outside pitch just kind of coming in from, from left field. Okay. I think Allison Felix is someone that you have Ooh. to give a shout out to. And yeah. I, I love track and field. And, and she is someone who actually did her, her ran her last race, you know. But yeah. you, you're talking about all time gold medals. Uh, she's right up there, too. So uh, that's another one. And man, doing it from a young age. I mean, she didn't start running track till she was, she was in high school. But a little bit later, what, two years? She was 19, like Serena, when, when she first won. And now look at her <laughs> all, all these years later, she's, uh, you know, just retiring. Yeah, also to do it after having children. Hey, along the lines of track and field, Todd from Missouri, who who would be your Mount Rushmore? Who impacted their sport the most? Well, there are two that I think of right off the bat, and I'm, I thought of Olympic-wise as well. Uh, Carl Lewis, the fact that he won that last medal on his last jump, and then Edwin Moses, like two guys that truly dominated and were epically great. It's you know you start thinking about Olympic sports, Michael Phelps, mm. like what he did for swimming. Swimming was always popular in terms of the Olympics, but when he was racing for those eight golds, like you didn't turn away from the TV. Yeah, Baltimore's finest. I'll be in Baltimore in a couple of days, by the way. But yeah, <laughs> you you got to put him up there. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's get to Roland in Arkansas. Who you got, Roland, in terms of your Mount Rushmore? Who's made the biggest impact on their sport? Tiger Woods. If you think about how many people in a major, you got the whole field, but everybody bet on Tiger. And there's no sport where he singly handed greater than 20 or 30 men. Absolutely. So, Tiger, I think about it this way. When you watch golf now when tiger's not in it do you want to watch as much like we watch because of him and now you don't watch sometimes because he's not in it you know the thing i love about tiger and it's very similar to what we said about venus williams in a couple ways obviously the black community but i think you have to look at how he changed the physique of golfers right it used mm. to be, you know, the golfer guys, they had a little extra cushion <laughs> well, in, in, in the mid section. Yeah. And, <laughs> you, you know, it's just like, man, those guys aren't athletes, but they're playing the sport. Tiger made it to where there's no dispute that these guys are athletes. You, you know, they're out there, you know, fitted shirts, you know, well, well yeah. physique and everything. So I, I think that's a, another way that, you know, you have to account for Tiger's greatness. One of the few that have gone through what he went through um, off the course and then to still people still cheer for him. I mean, people wear Sunday red because of him. Jordan from Syracuse, who you got? Yeah, um, I like to throw uh, Michael Phelps' name out there. I love that. We mentioned it. In what way do you think he impacted the sport of tennis? Or Sorry, swimming. Oh, no, no. I was just, I was just talking about – you're talking about, like, Serena as – as being like an individual, like as, as like a great greatest individual uh, accomplishment as, as as far as sports go. Yeah. You, you said like she she was she was the greatest individual competitor. You know. Michael Phelps cutting, certainly cutting, one of the best to ever do it in swimming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. And I was just I was just saying I, I thought that like Phelps kind of like you know 
almost like towered over her as far as what he accomplished compared to her. Absolutely. That picture of him on Sports Illustrated where he's got the eight medals draped across his chest, uh, he was appointment viewing. It's hard when you think, Teron, of like, does Brady go in there? Wayne Gretzky, team sports. Michael Jordan's different because of how good he was as just him. Does does Brady go on that list? I think you have to put him on there. I mean, he's another one that, you know, I don't believe there's anybody who's won more Super Bowls than him. Of course, he made it to more than, than pretty much everybody as well. So you got to put him up there. And for me, what really cemented Brady was getting there a couple of years ago and winning it without Bill Belichick. Mm, there you go. All right, we'll continue to discuss the Mount Rushmore of sports as news came out today that Serena Williams is retiring or evolving from tennis, as she said. We say it every year. Is Texas back? One voter seems to think so in the preseason coaches poll. We'll explain next. This is Spain and Fitz, Chris Bunn and Tron Davenport, filling in on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. All right, we're building a Mount Rushmore of people that are made huge impacts in their sports or the best to ever do it. We're going to need more than five uh, because we're also now down, way down the line of skateboarders, skiers, motocross. We got, we got it all. We're going to get to the phone lines. We want to hear from you. 888-CSPN, 888-729-3776. He is Teron Davenport. I am Chris Button. Who is on your Mount Rushmore? Who has made the biggest impact on their sport. Let's get to Matt in Virginia. Who is on your Mount Rushmore? Well, first of all, um, it's making the biggest impact in any sport and um, all combined is Jackie Robinson. And I haven't heard, I've been listening to this same topic all day long and nobody's mentioned him once. So Jackie Robinson is number one, number one. Teron, you put him up there? I mean, you got to put him up there as yeah. far as impact. You know, he changed the game by just – it was tough. You know, I, I know uh, watching the, the his movie, you know, everything that he had to go through. And, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you got to put him, put him up there as the first black professional baseball player. Absolutely. Yeah, to break the color barrier in the MLB and then to have such an impact that there's a day – every year in Major League Baseball where every player wears the number 42. Mm-hmm. That's an awesome answer. All right, Keith from St. Louis, who you got? Hey, sticking with the theme of individual sports, I, I don't think any Mount Rushmore is complete without Muhammad Ali. He, uh, you know, Olympic champion, world champion. He, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't go to the draft, the military draft, and then he converted the Muslim Islam, and he, he, you know, he went through a, just a tremendous amount, and he became one of the greatest ambassadors of peace and goodwill and sports in the entire world as we know it. Awesome answer, Muhammad Ali, who, by the way, um, we were discussing last week. You, you, you think about all the other athletes that when he went through that, when he said, I'm not going to be a part of the draft, I'm, I'm putting my foot down, athletes from all other sports that came to support him as well. Yeah, I mean, Bill Russell, Jim Brown, mm-hmm. you know, uh, those guys came to support Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
So, yeah, absolutely. Muhammad Ali, you got to put him up there because he is one of the greatest, you know, and he said it. I am the greatest. <laughs> Jay from Hawaii, you've got an interesting one. Sell me on your reason. All right, this may be a little unconventional and some may not consider it an actual sport, but what about Hulk Hogan and the WWF? I like it. It's we're we're very far down the Mount Rushmore. We now have like twenty people. We have a variety of sports, but Hulk Hogan made a ginormous impact on wrestling. Yeah, he made a huge impact. I mean, Saturday mornings watching, you know, the the cartoon. I remember it was <laughs> him. Uh, Roddy Piper was in it. Junkyard Dog, the Iron Sheik. I, I remember all those guys. So yeah. Who wait? You had someone for for the and off the wall one. I did, I did. I mean, this guy had his own video game, and he yeah. had his own clothing line. Tony Hawk. I mean, you got to put him up there as, as one of the guys to mention. This has been a fun conversation. We'll continue it. But, but today the coaches poll came out for college football, and some of it is what you'd expect. Alabama at the top. Ohio State, number two. Georgia, number three. Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan. Texas A&M ranked a little for my liking Mm -hmm. here's what was interesting to me texas who came in 18th received a first place vote they don't even know who's starting at quarterback they might have (laughs) a plethora of talent with b john robinson and the rest of that running back room you don't even know who's starting at quarterback so i have a theory teron i think nick saban was that number one vote you think nick saban was just to throw, throw a wrench in the game. He's Well, because he's not voting for himself. Yeah. And you know he's not voting for Georgia. You know and Texas he's not A&M voting for, for Georgia sure. or Clemson because he's likely to see that. Yeah, definitely not A&M. So maybe he's like, I'm going to give my boy Sark a little attention here. Could be. It could be. I didn't, Maybe it was uh, foretelling the future, right, when they when they finally do get the young, the young Manning. Yeah. <laughs> Is Texas back? Texas might be back in a year or two, maybe not quite yet, uh, as they're about uh, week two into fall camp. It'll be interesting uh, to, to see how these top maybe four teams develop. Uh, Alabama, how about this Nick Saban last week saying, last year was a rebuilding year. We only had a Heisman Trophy quarterback and played in the national championship, won the SEC championship, and had some of the most talent on our roster, but it was a rebuilding year. You know why? They didn't win the Alabama Invitational. <laughs> you know, that's that's the reason why it was a rebuilding. I think that's just Nick Saban just saying that the standard is the standard, right? Yeah. If you don't win a championship at Alabama, it's a disappointment. And uh, I think that's pretty much what he, he was alluding to. It'll be interesting. I mean, Georgia loses all that talent <sighs> to the NFL. Talent. 15 players, so much of that. On defense, a quarterback in Stetson Bennett who proved himself towards the end of the year, but now he is not in a quarterback battle. He's the guy. They come in at number three. And then Clemson, to me, was the most interesting one because other than Texas A&M, who I don't think deserves to be as high up there, but DJ Uyunglele at quarterback was not great last year. Yeah, They didn't have a great offensive line, but – Dabo Sweeney can't always plug and play, especially when he doesn't quite believe in the impact of the transfer portal. Right, exactly. And that's sometimes you got to catch up with the times, and that's what these other uh, coaches are doing. 
You're right, though. Clemson is a team. I was really curious about them. But, you know, the ACC, they're going to be able to, to run through that for the most part. So I think that should help them be in position at the end of the year to, to have, uh, you know, get to the, as we say, the Alabama Invitational. <laughs> Notre Dame right behind them. Marcus Freeman's first full year at Notre Dame. He did coach in the Fiesta Bowl. Michigan right behind Notre Dame after a visit to the semifinals last year. Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher's team after a huge recruiting class. And then Utah, who, by the way, f- travels on the road to the Swamp for game one. Oklahoma and then Baylor. By the way, Baylor uh, picked to win the Big 12 right behind Oklahoma. All right, we'll head out to Chicago next and talk about the latest with Roquan Smith. How Justin Fields has looked in training camp. We'll get all the details around Chicago Bears camp. This is Spain and Fitz, CSPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Got to play some Joe Button when Chris Button's on with Teron Davenport. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App Series, XM Channel 80. I'm Chris Button. He is Teron. And we're going to head out to Chicago because there was some news today. Joining us now, Courtney Cronin, ESPN Bears reporter. You can catch her at Courtney R. Cronin on Twitter. Courtney, uh, Roquan Smith requesting a trade. What is the details around it and what is he looking for? Yeah, it's an interesting situation, guys. Um, considering this was the big question mark of the offseason. Like, would the Bears and Roquan Smith come to a contract extension agreement ahead of training camp? Would it linger into training camp? And, you know, dating back to the start of training camp, we we find out he's going to be a hold-in. He wasn't planning on participating. And then, you know, he checks in. He's there. Obviously, holdouts are no longer a thing with the new CBA. But then the Bears put him on the pup list, which is – very strange because we saw him all during the off season program. And so unless he was like participating through an injury at a time where you really don't need to um, real strange, this injury just popped up and he managed to get on the pup list to start training camp when he's in the middle of a holdout, you get where I'm going with this. Like it's it's a really strange saga. And um, what we know is that, these negotiations were ongoing. And then today, like I woke up to this news and was really surprised. I think as most people were certainly as Ryan Foles was um, to, to see that it got to this point where Roquan Smith is demanding a trade out of Chicago and, and truly just, you know, everything that you read in that two page statement was that he felt disrespected by the organization and felt that the offer that, that he had been given was, you know, a, a low ball offer. And then today after the bears had family fest, which I think it was no, um, no, it was a no coincidence that he ended up putting the statement out on a day where it's family fest down at soldier field. And, you know, this team loves its tradition. So that's probably got ownership's attention. So this happens and Ryan Poles comes and talks to us afterwards, tries to get out ahead of it and said, you know, he was kind of blindsided by it. He was disappointed it had gotten to this point because he felt that they were negotiating good faith and that, you know, the offer that they had given him and working back and forth, there were parts of it that he made, that he made it sound like he would be resetting the market. And it's obviously he didn't get into specifics with us, but it's, it's a lot of, he, he said right now, and it feels still like both sides are very far away from, from coming to um, any sort of mutual ground here on an extension, but I would not rule out the possibility of Roquan actually staying in Chicago. I don't think it's the door is completely shut from either side. 
Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you, Courtney. Is this something? So this is something you could see getting resolved, and I mean, if so, like, what's the time frame on it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you read the statement from from Smith, and you know, at the end, he said, you know, I haven't talked to the McCaskies, blah blah blah. Like, I'm leaving. It's leaving the door open. It's the player who doesn't have an agent. That's probably what we should have led with. Like, he's representing himself. So, to me, that's a negotiation tactic to publicly put it out there that you're not happy with the number that Chicago's approaching you with, but not, you know, you may, he may say like, he kind of can't really go any other route than saying, you know, yeah, I think, I think it's all but done here because then of course you expect ownership and front office. No, no, no. We really want you here. Like let's, let's try to work this thing out. Right. That's what I think the player would hope for coming out of this situation. And Ryan Poles said that he's going, you know, this is something that he's going to try to work through, but also didn't rule out the possibility of a trade. So, yeah, I could totally see cooler heads prevailing. And, and now that Roquan has kind of gotten it out there that he's not happy with the way things are going with the team, maybe maybe this changes uh, the way that they've been doing business. I mean, this is this is interesting because it's the first time – that Ryan Poles, and we don't really know what his negotiation tactics are as a general manager. We know Cliff Stein, who, you know, managed the cap for and still does um, until Matt Feinstein's going to take it over here in Chicago. He's been doing contracts here for a very long time. How does the new general manager either change those, those tactics or is he hands off? Like, we don't know. So I think for Roquan Smith, this thing, if it lingers into week one, it's a problem because – is he going to play? Is he not going to play? Because if he doesn't play, his contract could toll, and that would cost him a year towards free agency. They've got time, though. It's only August, what is today, the 10th, 9th? Like, they've still got several weeks to try to figure this thing out and, um, you know, see if they're able to come to some sort of agreement because I think it would be short-sighted to not give the cornerstone of your defense um, a deal that would make him the highest-paid linebacker because he deserves it. So to that point, I mean, you, you say several weeks, they've, based on the statements today, they feel very far apart. What would the mm-hmm. fan base feel if you let the best player on your team and you can't come to a deal with him and, and give him, you know, maybe what he deserves? Yeah, and, and usually I think, I mean, Teron knows this because fans can be kind of kind of short-sighted with a lot of this stuff because it's like the civilian nature of seeing multi-million dollar contracts and being like, well, just be happy with you're getting 17 million and you want 20, like be happy with that. Well, like, I don't feel like that's the case here. I feel like there are a lot of bears fans who are irritated with the franchise right now, just knowing what we know based on what Roquan said today and what Ryan Poles said today. So I was kind of surprised because usually it's the opposite for whatever reason, fans tend to side with him and the ownership um, in odd ways, because usually that's just, I don't know, neither here nor there, but um, it's, it feels like it could get resolved if honestly, like with Roquan not participating in practice and being on the pub list, like that might actually be to their benefit. Cause it's not like the players going through practice. He has the time. If he's, representing himself in this situation, which he is, like he's got the time to negotiate things to his liking. And I think that if if they're able to keep him in the fold here, that kind of restores faith in whatever this thing is that they're building here in Chicago, because we truly don't know yet. Like they let 20 plus players from last year walk out of the building in free agency. There've been a lot of missteps along the way. There's people who are going to look at this team and say, you didn't do enough around Justin Fields. Well, like 
all of these things that have just been, you know, a litany of, of errors along the way get one thing right by signing Roquan Smith to an extension. I think that's, that's kind of like the temperature of the fan base right now, seeing all the things the Bears did not do this offseason and that this one to a lot of people is a no-brainer. Courtney, I can't let you skate without a Justin Fields question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to get that in there. What, what have you seen from him in camp thus far? A lot of up and downs. Um, you know, the leadership is not in question. Like, to me, I think for him coming in this year, he doesn't have to feel his way out the way that he did last year of, like, okay, when can I exert my leadership style? Like, when is it my room? Like, all the stuff that the poor situation he was put in last year when there's Andy Dalton there in the pseudo-quarterback competition between Dalton and Foles, and then Fields gets thrown into the mix. He gets a fresh start this entire offseason, which is what he's done. He's, you know, We've talked to a lot of players about how is he approaching this where it's his team this year, and I feel like that's to his benefit in ways that he didn't get to experience last year. Now, the on-field product, like they've had trouble at times moving the ball, especially with the passing game. The run game has looked better, and um, I think that that's going to be something they rely on pretty heavily, but you know, Field has had good days. He's had some not so good days. And like, I mean, they're they're practicing a lot of situational football, which of course is important because you know they need to figure out like what what are the flaws within their two minute offense? What are the flaws within you know certain certain packages they have in the red zone and in in other situations that they can now try to flush out because there's a lot of personnel deficiencies just in terms of the wide receiver group that they have right now. Everyone's hurt except for like Darnell Mooney and Equinemius St. Brown, two proven receivers, which they're really one and a half proven receivers because St. Brown's here trying to revamp his career. Um, Offensive line is a work in progress. So I think that that's kind of the message to Ron that they've been like echoing all summer and really the last couple weeks that this thing doesn't look like it needs to yet. They think they've got time on their side. We'll see like when it actually does feel a little bit more dire if it actually looks more like they expect it to than, than where they're at right now. She is Courtney Cronin. You can catch her at Courtney R. Cronin for, on Twitter for all the Rokon Smith updates as she is at Bears uh, practice every single day, including today where there was much news that came out. Courtney, appreciate you joining us tonight. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, we're going to continue taking your calls about the Mount Rushmore of dominant athletes. If you want to give us a call, 888-CSPN, 888-729-3776. I get on this show every whenever I'm on thinking, please don't say something stupid, and today was finally the day. I'll let you know what that was. Plus, Aaron Rodgers can continue to drink his special tea. We'll explain. This is Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. We had to let it roll, Teron. We had to let it roll. Edwin Diaz is walking music. I like it. How about the other day when he came in for the first time as a Met? They let it play. They didn't go to commercial break. They just let it roll. (laughs) It's only right. That's the best walking music in baseball, right? Uh, currently, I don't. We can get into an argument about years past but it is the current best walk-in song uh spain and fitz espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 espn radio is presented by progressive insurance protect the stuff you love with runner's insurance visit progressive.com listen you have a microphone in front of your face for two hours and you're just like let me get through the show say some smart things get all the commercials in and don't say anything really dumb (laughs) i was today years old when i realized there's only 
four people on Mount Rushmore, not five. I'll I'll agree with you. I was only today years old too. So <laughs> How did nobody it's, it's, know this. Devin didn't know this either. Like it's four people, guys. It's the four presidents. Yeah. I didn't yeah. I couldn't even name you the four presidents and okay, I could I not name you tell you even where it is. Apparently it's in South Dakota. It but is. we do agree that I we only that. use we only that. use Mount Rushmore for sports reasons. And that is because we want to know who would be on your Mount Rushmore. Not greatest athlete but the best at what they did and had the greatest impact how about dennis from north carolina who you got hey how you doing oh first of all uh, hopefully i can be real quick first of all i want to say to ron i really enjoy your analysis you're really smooth um just keep up the good work man i really enjoy listening to you okay we've got to go back to the 1968 mexico city olympics and i'm sure you all might know what i'm talking about tommy smith wins the 200-meter dash, uh, gold medal. Uh, John Carlos comes in third, wins the bronze. Of course, they're on the podium, raised fist, black gloves. I think that was very important in that it enabled um, uh, athletes to know that they had a voice, they could speak out, uh, stand up for themselves, and, and also speak out on injustice, injustices within society. I think that was very important. Again, this might be a little controversial, but I believe in what they did. I like that, Dennis. That was good. Yeah, and until he yeah. described the picture, I, I didn't quite remember the names. And then he describes the picture. I remember exactly what he was talking about. Yeah. And, you know, I guess uh, if we could get Dennis's address, so I could know where to send the check. Uh, definitely appreciate <laughs> that, Devin. He thinks but you no. have great analysis. <laughs> he does not say the blonde girl that thought that there was five presidents on the Mount Rushmore. Hey, listen, I was right there with you. So, you know, it's all good. We, we team it up. But I, I love that he mentions that because yeah. his point is 100% right. And, and that's something we see now, obviously, with Colin Kaepernick. And, and before Kaepernick, we saw it with Bill Russell, most significantly, and Muhammad Ali. We mentioned him. Just the ability to understand that it's not a shut-up-and-dribble situation. If there's something that you want to take a stand on, you're able to do that. And I, I think those, you know, they really set the tone. All right, let's do one more. Quinn from Nevada, who's on yours? Hi guys, so I I got Travis Pastrana on mine. Um, he was the first one to land a double backflip on a motorcycle in the X Games, and I just remember watching that when I was high. I had to be like 16 years old, and I freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> it was Thanks. one of the coolest things I've ever seen, and that just anything X Games, motocross, that I just think Travis Pastrana. That's awesome. Appreciate the time, Quinn. I'm not sure I could list you all of his accolades, but I did do some research, and uh, $25 million he earned doing it. Hey, if you worth that much <laughs> from riding a bike, you know, shout out to you. <laughs> We've had some interesting ones make our list uh, as the news broke earlier today that Serena Williams is going to evolve. That means retire from tennis after the U.S. Open later on this year, retiring at the age of 41. All right, let's get to some random news around the NFL. How about Aaron Rodgers? Never, I have never heard of this until today because he was on a podcast where he discussed how he used – ayahuasca 
if I said that correctly, it is a hallucinogenic in Peru in 2020 before the third of his four MVP seasons, uh, then it would not have triggered a positive test result because apparently they don't test for ayahuasca tea. What do you know about ayahuasca tea? <laughs> I do not know anything. And it's crazy because my, my, uh, my best friend is Peruvian. So I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, tap that resource and, and find out what what's going on with that. I'm a heavy tea drinker, but I never heard of ayahuasca <laughs> tea, a hallucinogenic. Uh, I wonder what he was using that for. R-E-L-A-X. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> Maybe, except this was done in 2020, so the timeline doesn't match up. But when I first saw this story, I thought that's where the tattoo came from. He was on this ayahuasca tea thing and then had some vision for this odd tattoo that none of us quite know. But he did say a lot of healing went on, a lot of healing when he was on ayahuasca. All right, there's your Aaron Rodgers rando story for the day. Uh, how about let's go to Carolina. We still don't know. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold. Hey, Matt Corral's there at, at waiting in the wings. No decision before the second preseason game is going to be made, they say. What do we make uh, of the the competition and waiting, I don't know, a couple more weeks until this thing rolls on? I, I think this is Baker Mayfield's job, and I honestly hope he does win that. As a matter of fact, in checking some of the reporters, their notes, he connected with D.J. Moore for a 20-plus yard touchdown. And it's funny, every time I mention D.J. Moore's name, I smile because – when I was doing football camps in Philadelphia, this guy was one of the the, the campers at, at one of the camps I did. So it's just crazy. That's the I feel old moment. But I, I just I like their receivers, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and I think the way he's been able to just kind of put the because you know the Robbie Anderson comments about uh, you know just saying no to Baker Mayfield uh, being acquired by the Panthers. They put that aside, and they've actually connected a few times too. So I, I'm seeing a more mature Baker Mayfield just from afar. And I, I like the way he plays. I think he is someone that could come in and help that team win. All right, and in some good news, Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas participated in 11-on-11 drills for the first time since 2020. He had a major surgery on his left ankle. He was back out there. So I want to get your insight. Who is going to win Comeback Player of the Year? There's someone on the team that you cover who's at the top of that list. Who do you think? Well, I tell you what, seeing him day in and day out, I'm going to say Derrick Henry. And uh, this is a guy that somehow managed to get a little bit bigger upper body-wise. He is uh, (laughs) – He's almost like an ostrich, right? The way the way he's built, you know, he's all legs and, and and he runs so fast. And I saw him get to the outside and accelerate a few times. He's going to be fresh, so I I think he 100%? Derek Henry. He's hundred percent. He's hundred percent. He's okay. he's good to go. He's not going to play the preseason, but they're going to give him the football plenty of times. And he's the catalyst for the Titans, not their offense, their team. Period. Yeah. So Derrick Henry is the favorite to win Comeback Player of the Year behind him, Jameis Winston. Hey, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry, nice situation. Before he got injured, remember, they were 4-0. Christian McCaffrey uh, at number three, and then Michael Thomas coming in uh, at four at plus 1,300. This has been a fun show, Tron. We had so much to get to uh, in terms of Serena Williams. Uh, You will be out back in the heat uh, 
When's the next preseason game for the Titans? Thursday. I will be in Baltimore, so we're uh, looking forward to it. Awesome. He is Teron Davenport. I'm Chris Bunn, and this has been Spain and Fitz with us filling in. It is Freddie and Fitzsimmons up next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.